Luke 2, 52, we read one verse this morning. I want to, um, I want to close in a different way uh, today, and, and we'll get there shortly, and we will we'll do that. But this, this one verse we'll read this morning says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Our sermon title this morning is Growing Together. Last week I introduced a, a set of sermons to you based around a mission statement that we hope to roll out at Easter. Last week we talked about how we treasure Christ through worship. This week we're, we're talking about how we grow together through small groups or through worshiping together. Now let me throw this at you right now. Today is what? February the 18th. Right now at this moment, only 8% of the people who made a New Year's resolution are still sticking to that New Year's resolution. I want to ask for a show of hands on what the 8% are here this morning, but most people who made a resolution back on January the 1st, by February the 18th, they're not sticking with that anymore. And here's one of the things that I found as I was looking at that is most people who make a resolution make it alone and they don't have a support group around them to hold them accountable. Those 8% who have made it more than likely have a support group that are holding them accountable to losing weight or to exercising more or to doing whatever it was that they set out. At my house, if they see me drinking a Coke or a Sprite or something, they, uh, if, it's in a, if it's in a cup, they won't know what's in that cup. They won't know if it's water. Because I said, you know, I'm not going to drink anything but water. So they want to check and examine. So I have a support group. Really, I have a terrorist group that slaps the stuff out of my hands if it's not what they think I should be doing. But the most mature Christians that I know are a part of a group of people, a small group of people, who some type of small group, who help hold them accountable to how they're living. Now, in this verse here, we see that Jesus was a person of growth. It's from his early life, this verse that Luke wrote here toward the end of Luke chapter 2. But what we see here is the doctrine of the incarnate Christ. We see Jesus came to this earth. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. And we see that he grew and he lived life the way that we live life so that he knows and understands everything that we go through. Let's go through this this morning, beginning with the fact that Jesus grew physically. Jesus is a great example of a strong body being useful for giving our best to God's service. Now, look, if you um, turn back just a couple of pages there in your scripture to Mark chapter 1, you see an incredible story of a day in the life of Jesus. Jesus there, in uh, beginning in verse number 29, we looked at this a couple of Sunday evenings ago. This is the rigorous schedule that Jesus was keeping. It begins in verse number 29, it says, He had been in a long day preaching. He'd already been preaching in the synagogue all day. It says he immediately left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. says nothing there in between his preaching time and getting to that house about him having any time to rest or to pull aside. Then it says, beginning in verse number 32, 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city, everyone in the city, was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now think about this. He's preached all day. He came home. He came to Simon Peter's house. He heals Simon Peter's mother, and then he stands in the doorway of Simon Peter's house, and everyone in the community who is sick or is possessed by a demon comes, and he stands until the late hours of the night, healing everyone who comes. Now, then it says in the next verse, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus kept a rigorous schedule. Jesus kept a very physical schedule. Jesus was a person who grew physically. He was a person who had uh, great physical abilities. The most successful pastors that I know, the most successful pastors who've had long tenures of 40 or more years of preaching and pastoring churches, I don't know any of them who are out of shape and who are physically in, in really out of, out of condition. They all have a rigorous physical schedule that they keep because they know that their physical health is important in being able to continue doing what they do spiritually. There goes one of them now. Our bodies are the temple or the dwelling place of God's spirit. Therefore, we need to be as health conscious as we possibly can because the fruit, one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. If I can't have self-control over how I live physically, then I really can't have control over a lot of the other things that are considered to be a fruit of the Spirit. So we exercise self-control there in our physical lives. The New Testament gives every indication that Jesus had a, bit of a vigorous physical constitution. His work schedule was remarkably full. He naturally became tired but there is no indication that he had limited physical capacity. On the contrary, he performed tasks that showed he was a man of great physical strength. You see, in the incarnation there, as, as he took on the flesh of man, Jesus felt what we feel. Jesus felt and understood everything that we feel. Jesus knew what it was to be physically tired and fatigued. Sunday mornings, when we get here, sometimes, if we admit it, this is the most physically tiring and fatiguing section of our life. Not because I'm a bad preacher, but because why? We have been going at it so hard Monday through Saturday, and normally the days of Friday and Saturday that we ought to pull back and rest, especially if we have children, we're going still, we're still going at it 90 to nothing. And when we get here on Sunday mornings, boom, we feel that physical fatigue. Let me, let me help you with this. Jesus felt that same thing you feel. Jesus has compassion for how you feel. And Jesus, in every sense of the word, he understands every physical need that we have. And here's a, I have this written in bold letters. At the top of this page, Jesus was not lazy. There was nothing lazy about Jesus Christ. 
go back and look at, at the, the great words of, uh, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. King Solomon, who gave this great advice to us that we can still read today, says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I have written at the top of that page, don't be lazy, have discipline. Jesus was a person of physical discipline. He was a person who, was, uh, who knew the physical limitations of the human body, and he understands how we live and how we feel but what did Jesus have around him? He had around him 12 men. And don't you imagine that a lot of times they held each other accountable on different things? Don't you imagine that sometimes if, if, if Simon Peter said, man, I, I'm tired and I, I just want to go home for a few days and rest, don't you, don't you imagine that Bartholomew or one of the others grabbed him by the sleeve and said, look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't rest. Why are you, why are you lazy? So Jesus... The scriptures tell us that he grew physically, and he was physically disciplined. And then we see that Jesus grew mentally. Jesus grew in his mental capacity. Uh, a lot of times, people, younger people will ask me for advice about going into ministry. And what, would I, what, what advice? This is the advice that I've given more and more over the last few years than at any time. And it, it it kind of dovetails off what Gordon is saying here just a minute ago. If you're going into ministry now, if you're a young person, a high school student or a college student, and you're going into ministry, this is the best advice I can give you. Be fluent in at least three other languages besides English. Not just know them, but be fluent in at least three other languages besides, besides English. And here's why. Because the world needs more people like Gordon and Julie who are going to the 1040 window, more people who are going to those places and learning those languages and who are taking down those barriers and who are learning the culture. But here's another thing that I have found out through one of our college students, Darby Bryant, pointed this out to me the other day. She sat and talked to me that in Clarkston, Georgia, that probably 30 years ago, greatly resembled Piedmont, Alabama, or, or any other small southern town, that in Clarkston, Georgia, there is a mile, a section of a mile there where there are 60 languages spoken in that one-mile area. That's amazing. That is, that is an amazing thing. When she told me that, it, it was hard for me to wrap my head around that. But here's what we, here's, as I listened to her talk about her passion to go and minister to this area here in Clarkston, Georgia, I realize that not so much are we having to leave and go other places to minister to the world. God is bringing the world to us here. You understand that? Through the refugees, and th th this is a place in Clarkston, Georgia, and I don't know, really know the dynamics of how it happened, but right there in that place, God is bringing the world to America and we in churches now have the opportunity to go and to minister to the whole world right there in, in one place. That's how fast and how rapidly the world is changing. 
And that's how we need to change our minds and our way of thinking and grow in these ways. God warns us all the time through the scripture of the folly of trusting human wisdom. But that doesn't mean that he is opposed to our intellectual growth. Nowhere does the Bible place a premium on ignorance. If you read all through the Proverbs, you see so much how, how King Solomon points out the foolish person who's not seeking after wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom, doesn't take away from his deity. Because we look in Philippians 2, 7, and we see that Paul writes these words, that Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this says to us that as a servant, Jesus was willing to forego the full use of his divine powers and so he had a normal intellectual development just like we do. In Luke 2.40, it says this about Jesus. The, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. Jesus was learning. It says the same thing about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. Never stop learning. I'm getting older. I consider myself some days to be old. I told someone yesterday, I, I, I just feel like I'm getting old and, and, and I'm not. But here's, I never want to stop learning. I want to learn something new every day if I possibly can. Because I believe that Jesus, as he was here, he was learning. And I believe that all through, you know what I believe one of the greatest things about eternity is? When we are with him in heaven, I don't think we'll ever stop learning. I think that we will continue to learn the ways of God and the mind of God. I, I think for all eternity we'll continue learning. Jesus was learning while he was here. The process of filling with wisdom kept pace with his bodily growth. The best trained Christians are the most effective ones. Those who are being discipled through proper discipleship. Through Sunday school, through D-Lot, through Awanas, through all these different things that we're doing here in our church. The most effective Christians are the ones who are plugged in some way with a small group of people, and they have those people holding them accountable through, through something such as this. It's something that as a church team, when we meet, from uh, every time we meet, we're talking about how to make this better and how to grow people deeper. Jesus probably spent hours reading the Old Testament scriptures and the writings of the men. Sometime early in his life, his human nature found perfect fellowship with his divine nature, and he understood his true mission that God the Father had sent him for. He was truly human in mind. He lived under limitations common to humans in, mental, in the mental realm. And think about this. Jesus had to study in order to grow. Jesus had to study in order to grow. Did you go to school with anybody go to school with those people who never took a book home? who never opened a book, never had to, and, and yet they made all A's. You remember those people? Couldn't stand those people. I mean, never take a book home, never open a book, and they show up and take the same test I'm taking, and they make an A on a test I make a C on that I was up for hours studying for. I remember having economics at Jacksonville State, the first economics class that I had. And there was a boy from Piedmont there in the class. He graduated a few years after me. And the professor told us at the beginning of the class, he said, I'm going to grade on a curve. And I thought, okay, good. That's going to be good. That's good for me. 
Well, this kid from Piedmont that I knew, he made 100 on every test. He blew the curve for everybody. So I pulled him, I pulled him aside one day after class. I said, come on, man. Help me out. Make a C. Just make one C. And he looked at me and he said, I can't do that. There's no, I, I can't make a C. I said, it's possible. Just copy my paper. You can do it. Jesus, I, I want you to get this. And I want you to hear this. I'm not talking to just the kids who are sitting here in high school. I'm talking to every, if you're, if you're 5, 15, 85. I'm talking to you. Grow in the knowledge of the Word of God as often as you possibly can. Know it. Jesus was growing in the Word of God. If the Son of God was growing mentally, those of us who seek to follow in His steps should take seriously the development of what we know about Scripture and utilize it to the glory of God. And then look here, the third thing is Jesus grew socially. Look back at Mark chapter 1, there in those verses. Simon, Peter, and those who were with him went out searching for Jesus, and they said these words, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus had become very popular because he was meeting the physical needs of the people there in the city. He was, he had, he was healing their diseases. He was casting out demons. He was doing all these things to meet their physical needs, and he had become rather popular. But Jesus knew that he didn't come to be some kind of sideshow healer. He knew that he came to fulfill the gospel, the, fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament and to be the substitution, the sacrifice, and the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus didn't want to be known as some, uh, just some miracle-working guy. He wanted the people to grow deeper. And so maybe while he was out there praying early in the morning, he was praying, Father, give me the humility to understand all this popularity, all this social status that I'm all of a sudden receiving. God, give, continue to grow in me humility so that it doesn't detract me from the mission that you sent me. Because don't you imagine that Satan was whispering in his ear, saying, Jesus, look how popular you are. Jesus, look how everyone comes out to see you. Jesus, look how the crowds come to you. Why don't you just avoid the cross and go ahead now and set up your kingdom and, and, and do what it is and, and let these people have their ruler? But Jesus knew that without the cross, there was no kingdom. And so he prayed, but he grew socially. He was among the people. He didn't become a chameleon and adjust to whatever moral color prevailed with the crowd. You see, we have to stand for our convictions. We're supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. We have to stand for our convictions and be firm in our decisions for right conduct. Now, what I'm learning is there's a time to stand for your convictions to the point that you would fight for your convictions. And there's also a time to listen to your convictions. To listen. I'm trying to live by this rule. The, more, the older that I get is to listen twice and speak once. Bree and I were at a meeting um, a, a little while ago. There's a lot of people there at this meeting. And there were a lot of questions being asked and a lot of issues being raised. And I was listening to everything. And at one point, I wanted to speak, 
But I knew at that point if I spoke, I would say something I shouldn't say. So I listened a little bit longer. And so it went, there was a point there, there was a lull, and I, I raised, I was, Bree was on my left, I raised my left hand, and she grabbed my arm, and she slammed it down to the chair and looked at me and said, don't talk. And I said, woman, you better get your hand off me right now. I said, you get up right now, and you go to the car, and you sit there right till you come back in. That's what I said. Then she let me have my arm back, and she said, you can speak now. But here's what, if I had spoke with only hearing there that first time, I would have misspoke. And I would, I, there was a time before where I was in a public setting among people in our community, and I spoke too quickly. And when the meeting was over, I had to go around the room and I had to apologize because I didn't represent Christ well. I represented me and this temper that sometimes comes up. And I had to go around the whole room and I had to apologize to every man there for how I spoke. But I've learned to listen twice, to speak once. We can still hold our standards and have a sweet spirit about us. Jesus had a sweet spirit about him. He learned to get along with people. He didn't try to make people feel miserable, or he didn't try to put a, a, a holier-than-thou on everybody else. People enjoyed, people enjoyed having Jesus in their midst. They enjoyed him so much that they invited him to be in their midst. Jesus wasn't the angry old man who was yelling, get off my lawn. Jesus had a sweet, Jesus did, his convictions were different. His opinion was different. But he had a sweet spirit about him. He was at home among them without compromising his convictions concerning God and his redemptive purposes. He had a personal development that led to a maturity. We grow and become more mature in our walk when we do what Jesus was doing, pulling away and spending time alone with God. Now, the good reputation that Jesus enjoyed, enjoyed with men was continued in the first century church. If you look at Acts chapter 2, 47, it said the church had favor with all the people. We should be concerned with our own personal individual testimony and how does it reflect on the church that we represent and how even more does it reflect on Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's this. Jesus grew spiritually. 2 Peter 3.18 says this. Simon Peter wrote these words. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus' personal fellowship with the Father that enabled him to face life victoriously. It was those moments there that we see in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus pulled away from the crowd early in the morning and he went somewhere alone and prayed, that was what gave him the spiritual maturity that he needed and the growth that he needed. It was his personal fellowship with the Father that enabled him to face life victoriously. Because we know, and I've said this a hundred times, Jesus prayed more than Jesus preached.
Our relationship with God is established through the new birth. Our fellowship comes through growth in things of the Spirit. The public, listen to me, the public life of Jesus had its roots in his private and personal walk with the Father. His public life that everyone had had opportunity to see, it had its roots in those early morning times when he spent private and personal time alone with the Father. He maintained spiritual growth through personal communion and prayer, scripture study, and constant striving to know God's will and to do it. Jesus grew. And our challenge is for us to continue to growing and developing as Christians. I see some of you who are young. I see some of our high school and college students who are young and they are excited. They talk about the future and what God has for them. And I promise you that in talking to some of them, someday they will stand in the church just like Gordon and Julie have stood here today. They will stand in the church and they will give testimony about some place in the world that they have gone and they have shared with uh, Jesus Christ with an unreached people group. And they will do it because they are young and excited and they are growing in everything that we've talked about here this morning. But you know what excites me even more than that? Is I see people in our church who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s who are still striving every day to grow and to mature and to become more like Jesus. And if they never get to leave Piedmont, they still are looking. They're driving through neighborhoods looking for people to minister to. There's a group of children in our church this morning who came by my office and who talked to me. It was a family. And they came and they shared with me about a man that they know who needs a bicycle to be able to get around, and they took it on their hearts. Their parents took it as an opportunity to sit them down and to teach them through Scripture that as you have done for the least of these, so have you done to me. Words of Jesus Christ. And that those children are taking up money to help this man who is down on his luck and needs help to get a bicycle. That's happening in our church because of what some of you as grown-ups and adults are doing on Wednesday nights through Awanas and teaching and how their parents are here on Sunday mornings in a small group Sunday school class and they're growing and maturing. And the more of that that happens, then I can promise you the more of this community that we'll reach with opportunities like that for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So our commitment is to grow those discipleship opportunities so that we become more and more like Jesus. I want to offer you an opportunity this morning. Before I do something different, I want to offer you this opportunity this morning. If you're here this morning, you've listened to the words that I've spoken, and you realize that you're here this morning, and you haven't begun to grow in a relationship with Jesus because you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want to offer you that opportunity this morning to come and let me share with you through Scripture how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to do that this morning, and then I want to have a special prayer time. If Gordon and Julie would come, if you would give us 
an invitation, uh, something here this morning. I want everyone who is a believer to be praying this morning for those who may not know Christ as their Savior, and that during this time that the Holy Spirit would point him and they would begin a life of growth and a life of ministry today, this morning. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus and the growth and the example to us how we need to be a part of all these things to grow in our spiritual walk with you. And Father, thank you. And I pray that if there is someone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that the words that have been through music, the words that Gordon and Julie have spoken or through your scripture this morning, you would impress upon them the need to come this morning and to know Christ. Father, if there's one who needs to follow in baptism or church membership, this is a wonderful time for that opportunity. We ask it in Jesus' name.